Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. This is Rajan. Um, we're recording this in different parts. Pat and I are kind of uh, attacking this separately, but together, if you will, uh, considering the logistical problems with kiddos and scheduling and all that fun stuff. But we definitely want to make sure we got some content out to you guys although nobody really wants to talk about the Washington football team's performance uh, last this past Sunday, which is yesterday, given the time I'm recording this, against the New Orleans Saints, which of course ended in the 33-22 loss. Uh, just again, on a, as usual, emptying my notebook of all the things I wrote down during the game, lots of furious and angry scribbles. Um, you know, I'm, just to kind of dive right in, I'm going to get started with this. Um, I mentioned this to my friends in our ongoing football Slack channel that we have. Uh, for those of you who've seen the Dodgeball movie, you know, the one with Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller, if you remember when Rip Torn comes in and he tries to coach the average Joes guys, and he's describing the way they first look when, uh, you know, he's trying to teach them how to play Dodgeball. Now, Rip Torn uses a very politically incorrect phrase, which I obviously won't repeat here. I don't want a John Gruden incident coming back to haunt me in some way, considering the John Gruden resignation news came out just a little while ago. But the phrase that Rip Torn uses, to me, best describes the state of the defense of the Washington football team. So to paraphrase Rip Torn's quote, we look like a bunch of brain-dead people trying to hump a doorknob. Our defense is breathtakingly clueless. I think it's the second week or second time in a row I'll say this. I'm probably going to say it every single week, considering that's what it is. We have no idea how to play football. Not good football, just football in general. And I think that is equal parts on the coaches and a equal parts on the collection of overpaid bums that those coaches will continue to give playing time to. You know, the, the guys on the defensive line keep making these comments about people needing to stick to their assignments or some more simply people just need to do their job. It's a matter of execution. It's a matter of trusting each other. It's a matter of making sure that what you're doing during the week reflects during or reflects in the game. I don't know. But whatever they've been saying, it's been repeated enough times now to make you wonder whether the coaches actually are drilling in exactly what they need to do considering some people understand what their assignments are and what how what the players are supposed to do in a given certain set of circumstances and the guys that were trotting out there are just too incompetent or too stupid to perform their basic job responsibilities and i and i honestly would not be surprised if that was the case you know hindsight is always 2020 but you can't help but notice that Look at the contributions of the young and the hungry to prove themselves guys like Cam Curl, Jeremy Reeves. You all know I love Jeremy Reeves. Pat's talked about it. Big fans of him. It was so frustrating to watch Washington not bring him back this year. Kaliki Hudson, uh, I'm sure there's others who I'm probably forgetting, but they played such a big role in turning our season around last year. And what did we do? We replaced them with a bunch of brand name bums. I mean, look at the shitheads on our defense. Landon Collins is hot garbage. Bobby McCann is straight up trash. William Jackson can't cover anyone to save his life. The personal foul call that ended with him, um, that ended with Taysom Hill getting a concussion, you know, it was, a, it was kind of bullshit, but. Regardless of how you feel about it one way or another, William Jackson continues to find himself in the wrong situation at the worst possible times. Not a great description that someone wants to have for you. Uh, I love linebacker Cold Holcomb. 
but he's clearly overmatched out there. Um, I'm going to take a quick left turn right now with Jamin Davis because, you know, he's everyone's favorite whipping boy around here. And the latest, uh, you know, uproar du jour is about the fact that he only played 13 snaps yesterday. Um, look, I'm going to bring this back to the coaching, the preparation, stuff like that. I think and that's the bigger question. As listeners of the podcast, for those of you who heard me before, I'm sure you'll recall me saying that we need to approach him as that he was a project. He is going. He was going to need time, and and just to make sure that I reiterate properly, we're getting exactly what we should have expected from a guy who has all of one year of starting experience in college. I strongly believe we have done him no favors by asking a guy with that little experience coming out of college to learn an entire NFL playbook at one of the toughest positions to transition from from college to the NFL, and. Yet our coaching staff basically just unloaded everything plus the kitchen sink on him and instead of maybe potentially trying to bring him along more slowly and deliberately. And if you want a case study of the right way to do it for a linebacker who's talented but raw and needs some time to acclimate to the NFL game, go look at what the Arizona Cardinals, the undefeated Arizona Cardinals, are doing with Zayvon Collins. And again, those of you who know me know he was my favorite defensive prospect in last year's draft. Arizona saw in training camp that Collins wasn't ready to take the starting job right away. They envisioned, they wanted to give him the starting job right away, but they saw the dude on the field, they saw he's good, but they're like, no, is he really ready to be the starter? No, he's not. So they've continued to play Jordan Hicks as their inside as their middle linebacker as the starter, and they're bringing in Collins in certain packages which they t- which they basically tailor to his what he does best and uh you know and, and and what he can do what he's proven he can do well on the field again what he does best right and long story short he's been making plays for them he doesn't play every single snap he's not a starter per se on the depth chart but when he's in he makes an impact because he's thinking less and playing more because they're not inundating him and with trying to learn everything right off the bat right like you can't ask someone to learn a brand new language and then throw him in with a bunch of native speakers only like a couple of weeks later and then wondering why he's floundering. I mean, like, what were you expecting? You know, it, it's it's so easy for like the talking airheads to discuss how Davis looks like a bust, but they're continuing to miss the forest from the trees regarding the situation that he's been put into. And I'll put one more final note, and I mentioned this again to my friends, you know, nothing against Sam Cosme per se. But the fact that Washington passed on Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa in the second round of this past draft has to be re-examined. I said it before that if we take Davis in the first round, that's fine. Why don't we build strength on strength and put Owusu-Koromoa right next to him? Because it's not exactly like we've got the 85 Bears linebackers in the current group as it is. And if you put together Davis... Owusu Koromoa, and God forbid you would have brought back one more year of Morgan Moses, compare that to the current situation we have right now, and tell me you wouldn't take the former 10 times out of 10, because you would, and you should. But hindsight is always 2020. Um, getting back on point, in terms of the ineptitude of our defense, once again, um, you guys, I'm sure, have seen all the quotes about on the first touchdown by Deontay Harris, how New Orleans caught our defense sleeping or with his pants down or whatever cliche you want to use. Um, and the more people have broken it down on social media, the more you make, makes you want to pull your hair out. Um, there was one other play that I wanted to kind of point out, which flew a bit under the radar, but it was just another perfect microcosm of our defense having no clue what the fuck to do out there. 
Um, the Saints drive right after we cut it to 27-22. Uh, you know, they're were, they were kind of they're moving the ball down the field, but it wasn't that easy. The defense was kind of stopping them at points. The, the uh, New Orleans drive was a bit fits and starts. But then there was that big catch and run by Adam Troutman, the tight end. And if you watch that play, Cole Holcomb is literally pointing out as the snap is taking place that someone needs to go pick up Troutman. You'll never guess what happens. Nobody picks up Adam Troutman. So we see Cole Holcomb sprinting back and trying to cover him, only, of course, to make uh, to watch Troutman make a big play, which would eventually set up Alvin Kamara's nail in the coffin touchdown run. I mean, it's just shameful how stupid our back seven is. Um, you, you know, we of course, we have to talk about the Hail Mary, even though it's been discussed ad nauseum, and even though, you know, as it's to no surprise to anyone, it's it's 10 steps beyond unacceptables. Um I don't care if Landon Collins and the rest of the secondary thought the Saints were going to go short, go out of bounds, go go deep, or go for ice cream. I, I don't know what the fuck they thought they were doing, but how is it in a jump ball situation, nobody fucking jumps? Explain that to me. And I, I wrote this down literally as I was watching that replay about a dozen times, and then others have pointed it out today. If you actually watch Landon Collins on that play... Not only does he fall backwards away from the point of the catch, he knocks Kendall Fuller out of position, basically allowing Marquez Callaway almost unimpeded access to that ball. What a joke. I mean, Christ, I can't stress it enough. Landon Collins fucking sucks. That guy, Jesus Christ. It is a direct correlation of the more that guy gets playing time, the more our defense underperforms. It's that simple. It really is. At a, at a holistic level... This loss was once again defined by the opposing offense, the opposing offensive coaches, the opposing offensive game plan, just making a mockery of our defense. And our defense is sitting there with their thumbs up their ass and taking it. And the thing that has to be frustrating, which again, so many people have discussed today, is that this wasn't one of those games where like Justin Herbert or Josh Allen came in and they were just on fire and, and surgically picking apart our defense, right? Like, as we've said in both of those post-game recaps, you almost have to shrug your shoulders and say, look, we can't beat that guy. He was fucking on fire, right? This was not that game. Jameis Winston did plenty to keep us in the game. There was absolutely nothing noteworthy about the way he played for the vast majority of the game, and again, the way the Saints played for the vast majority of the game. Even the commentators in that game, for whatever it's worth, were mentioning that Drew Brees, uh, or mentioning that without Drew Brees, rather, this New Orleans team's, this New Orleans team, I'm so angry, I'm tripping over myself, they were forced to manufacture points on a weekly basis. Like, they have to figure out how to score. And yet the Stooges on our defense, they just found new and innovative ways to basically hand over pillows hand over pillows hand over points on a satin pillow right like just here's points please take them you are having a hard time score on us let me make it easier for you i mean this was a game that washington could have and should have won it's not you don't need to be wearing burgundy and cold gold colored glasses to 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 believe that right the saints just weren't that good as mentioned they were basically able to capitalize on a defense that plays bungling football on a weekly basis. I mean, that's just who we are right now. And that looms really, really large considering the stretch of games that we've discussed and everyone else has been pointing out that's coming up on the horizon, starting with the looming massacre on Sunday. As Mark Bullock, friend of the podcast, tweeted, I think literally during the Saints game, 
what's to stop Kansas City from basically going four verticals against us all game long? I mean, can you imagine what's going to happen if William Jackson has to line up on Tyreek Hill? Can you imagine our linebackers who basically have no clue how to play the game of football, what they're going to do against Travis Kelsey? It just feels inevitable that one of the poo-poo platter of Kansas City running backs, now that Clyde Edwards-Alaire looks like he's going to be out for a few weeks, you know, I just I can just already predict whoever it is running up and down the field, catching passes, ripping off big plays, you know, catching a, uh, a deep pass on a wheel route that our clueless linebacker is just watching, uh, watching let go past or one of our safeties is on the opposite side of the field for. I mean, it, that's just who we are at this point in time. To borrow Pat, one of Pat's favorite phrases, like, Kansas City is going to boat race us. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. The current line as of this morning, was I believe the Chiefs were being favored by six and a half, which was for some reason down after Kansas City's loss last night, as if Kansas City's not going to get everything right and put a 50-burger on us next Sunday. So to that end, no matter what the spread gets to, let me give you some advice. Bet your entire, entire 401k on the Chiefs. It's literally the easiest money you'll ever make. I don't care what the line is. If the line is 25, bet your 401k, bet someone else's 401k too, and make them some money. Um, kind of wrapping it all up, I guess. You know, the, the as usual, Washington fans in their measured reaction were calling for Ron Rivera's head and, and questioning everything about him as a coach. And look, I get the bloodlust. I'm obviously fired up about it. I get that he's ultimately the one that has to answer for the in over their heads product that we roll out on a weekly basis. I also get that his comments today only about being only a handful of plays away from different circumstances or wins or whatever. You know, those comments went over about as well as playing a video on Pornhub on full volume in the middle of church. That that's that's how well received they were. Um, look, this isn't really about needing a new voice in the locker room from Rivera. The team Rivera having lost the team is so far away from the current set of circumstances that that's it's just ridiculous. But I will say that if you want to point the finger at him, I do think the criticism should come from a place of playing those aforementioned morons who have no business being on the field, and frankly speaking, not doing more to slam Jack Del Rio against a locker room basically every Sunday afternoon after the game is over and ask, you had a week to do your job. What was it that you did over the last six and a half days, given what our defense looks like on a weekly basis? I will leave it here and say that I predicted this team was going to go 11-6, and six, and now the most likely scenario is that this team is going to have six or seven losses by the middle of November, and maybe, maybe, and that's being really, really ambitious or hopeful, maybe we'll have stolen one win in this gauntlet that we're going to be running between now and again the middle to end of November. I, I don't even want to talk about December, given that we have to play the Cowboys twice and given the way the Dallas looks right now. Point being... Things look bleak, and in order for things to change, something has to be the catalyst for that change. And as sure as shit ain't the guys that we're putting out on the field each week, because they're clearly proving that their overpaid salaries and their brain-dead comments that they make to the media on a weekly basis are not nearly as commensurate with their job performance. You know, I have thoughts on Taylor Heineke. I don't really want to get to him. He's Pat's boy. I'm going to leave it for Pat. Um, you know, Heineke obviously wasn't great. He obviously isn't without his own shortcomings as an NFL quarterback, 
But our entire football operation can't be based on digging ourselves a massive hole, crawling back into the game, then, just for good measure, making the hole a bit deeper after that, and then praying Heineke has to do some crazy shit to bail us out. That's basically the formula that we've been running on a weekly basis for the 2021 season, and it's a formula that's clearly destined for failure. So that's where I'm going to end things. As mentioned, Pat's going to provide his thoughts this week as a quote-unquote part two of this episode, so make sure you guys keep an eye out for that. Um, But, of course, thank you so much for listening into my ranting, and uh, hopefully we'll join you guys later collectively together. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.